秦国太后书四章六到八节。我的生命如同奉献在祭坛上的酒，正倾倒出来。我离世的时候到了，那美好的仗我已经打过了，当跑的路我已经跑尽了，所信的道我已经守住了。从此以后，有公义的冠冕为我存留，就是按着公义审判的主。到了那日要赐给我的，不但赐给我，也赐给凡爱慕他显现的人。Second Timothy chapter four, verse six to eight. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord. The righteous judge will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. This is the word of God. Thank you, CE, for that. I'm going to attempt to use this microphone, knowing that I may fail and we'll have to go to backup plan there. But we'll we'll give it a try. So so thank you for for the scripture this morning. So I want you guys to meet this morning on this picture a lady by the name of Catherine Beers. So let me use my. Maybe. Let's see here. Advance. Maybe not. You wanna advance for me? Okay. We love technology here at Redeemer, so. You guys wanna advance it for me? Well, okay, perfect. So. Okay, so this is Catherine Beers. Uh, Catherine Beers. Uh, so Catherine Beers was 85 years old. Uh, so she competed in Boston Marathon in 2018. Uh, so amazing! Uh, in to prepare for this marathon, Beers ran about 45 miles a week uh, to compete for the marathon. So 45 miles a week—that's a ton of miles to run for an 85 years old.、Uh, so I don't rarely walk or, or, or run that much.、Uh, but again, this is an 85 years old. On the, ra- on, the on the day of the race,、uh, despite the near freezing temperature,、uh, the rain, the heavy rain, and then the winds—you can kind of see from the picture there—Beers、uh, indeed completed the race. Uh, she plays dead last. So,、uh, but she did complete the race.、Uh, so she was the last runner crossing the finish line. So her time was seven hours fifty minutes. So nearly nearly eight hours of running for an eighty-five years old. So that is an accomplishment、uh, in and itself. There. So after the race. 
you know, she was asked, you know, by reporters, by media, how she could manage to complete the race. Uh, she barely had anything to say at that moment because of her fatigue. Uh, so her response was very simple. Uh, she said that a beer is my drink. So that's a fitting tribute to her last name. Uh, so all she can think of is beer. Uh, so that's, that's, that's where uh, that's, uh, I, I thought that gave me a little bit of chuckle because that's, uh, that's really what, uh, what she can uh, remember at that time. But at, at any, uh, any moment, though, that, that's a very accom- you know, uh, accomplishment for an 85 years old. So as Bill mentioned this morning, our text was recorded uh, near the end of uh, an author life. Uh, so this is Apostle Paul wrote the piece to his prodigy, Timothy. Uh, so we just read from Second Timothy earlier. So at the time of writing, Paul was about to be executed uh, by Roman Emperor Nero. Uh, the year was 66 AD. So for 30 years prior, as you guys may know, Paul has traveled extensively. He had witnessed, worked, preached, traveled throughout the Mediterranean world. So he has been helped, hated, he has been assisted, he has been attacked, he has been blessed and cursed, so he has seen everything. So here in the passage that we have this morning in 2 Timothy 4, in fewer than 100 words, Paul reflected on his life and ministry. So since I'm a very visual person, uh, what I appreciate about this passage is the vivid metaphors in this text. So what I'd like to do this morning uh, is use this metaphors as a jump-off point uh, and propose to you how we can flourish as an individual, as a marriage couple, as a father, as a mother, as parents, as family, uh, but also more importantly as a body of believer. So this is how we can flourish this morning. So we, we will flourish in... Maybe not there. Uh, so we will flourish in God's sovereignty. We will flourish in our struggle. And we will flourish in our purpose. Uh, but before I do that, uh, I would like to pray for us one more time as we approach the words of God together this morning. So will you quiet your hearts and pray with me this morning? Gracious Father, we recall your faithfulness in our life once again this morning. Thank you that you walk with us every day. Thank you that you are with us in each moment. So Lord, we thank you also that you minister to all who come to you. So this morning, we ask that you look with compassion upon us who are in need of your mercy Father, for those who are sick this morning, we ask that you strengthen in the work of recovery for those who cast down, which you restore the assurance of your unfailing mercy. Remove the fears and give us patience, understanding, and persevering love. 
Remember in pity, Father, us this morning who are troubled on every side. And I pray, Father, that you would use us individually as a church, this body of believer, to point others, both believers and non-believers, to your throne of grace. Give us, Father, boldness and humility at the same time to listen and approach others as we seek, Father, as a church to bring your kingdom here on earth. We pray for our missionaries. We pray for health and safety. We ask, Father, that they would stand firm and let nothing move them. An eternal Father who has spoken in various time, in various ways to your people in the past, but in the last days in your Son, the incarnate Word, we pray that you will open the mouth of your servant this morning to proclaim that Word in the power of the Spirit. And we pray, Father, that this same Spirit will open the hearts of its listener here assembled to receive your holy words. Write on our hearts, Father, your holy law, as you have promised. And all this, gracious Father, we ask in the name of our Redeemer, Christ Jesus. Amen. if this will work this time. So the passage begins with a proclamation. Paul says that I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is near, has come. So Paul here see himself as a drink offering to be poured out. Now, we need to have a bit of context here to understand. So what, what is this drink offering that Paul, Apostle Paul, is talking about? So in ancient religion, in ancient culture, there is a ritual of pouring of a liquid. Uh, so that liquid could be oil, water, could be wine, honey. Uh, so this offering is intended to be an offering to please a deity, uh, a higher spirit, God. So in a sacrificial ceremony, what typically happens is after placing an animal on the altar, the priest would then take this liquid, again, wine, honey, water, and pour the liquid either on the burning sacrifice itself or on the ground in front of the altar. So this practice is called libation. So in fact, in the Old Testament, uh, we see this ritual is being practiced uh, several times. Uh, so one instance is uh, we are reading from Genesis 35. So this is the time after God blesses Jacob. And in fact, God renames Jacob, his name, to become Israel. In Genesis 35, we read that Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone, and he poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. So that's just one example from the Old Testament. There's another 
you know, ritual context or historical context as well. So in the Roman culture, which Paul was very familiar with growing up in Roman culture, so banquets, big dinner, commonly ended with a very similar ritual. So again, the symbolic act of pouring out the ground, pouring out on the ground a cup of wine in honor of the Roman gods. So this is the picture that Paul has in mind. He sees himself as a drink offering that is being poured out to the ground. So I want you to notice uh, a couple things here. So first, notice that this is written in the present tense, right? So the phrase here is being poured out. Uh, So this pictures a present day. So this pictures a continuous process. Uh, So Paul is not necessarily speaking of his eventual martyrdom, uh, but rather Paul clearly indicates that he was speaking of his current experience at that very moment, in that very place, as a prisoner in Rome. So Paul sees his life, not his death, again, he sees his life, not his death, as the ultimate act of sacrifice to the Lord. So simply put here in this metaphor, Paul is seeing himself as a living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice, not a dead one. He is a living sacrifice. So he also writes, Paul writes in Romans, okay, let's see here. So therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercies, I offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So this is what Paul commands us to do, to be a living sacrifice, and this is what he sees himself being one at that very moment. So there's one more thing that makes this statement I thought was very profound. So you, you may notice the phrase here is being written in the passive voice. Uh, so Paul is not pouring out his life, as it were, before the altar, but rather, and here's the key point, so God, sovereign in all things, has seen fit to pour out Paul's life in this manner. So again, no, Paul is doing it, but this is God's own doing. So Paul believes that his life was come under the Lordship of Christ. So Paul trusts in God's sovereignty over life and death. He gives up his life completely to his personal and compassionate Savior. So rather than wrest control from God, Paul reaffirms his confidence in God's perfect will. In Philippians, we also read that to Paul, to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
So God is sovereign in all things, in life and death. So friends, for us to grow, to flourish, to enjoy Him, we must also do the same thing. We must also trust in His sovereignty, His perfect will in our lives. So second, we also read that Paul continue saying that the day, that this day I have fought the good fight. So the world translated as fought comes for, from a Greek word, uh, agonisomai. So this translation is, is literally engaged in conflict. Uh, so the word was used in the context of competing in athletic or sporting games. Uh, and this word, you know, this agonisomai also has a strong reverence, reference, you know, as is fighting with weapons. So it has a military reference in it as well. So considering that Paul, again, at the writing of this episode, uh, he was chained to a Roman soldier sitting in a prison, uh, I think it would have been easy for him to make such an analogy. So figuratively speaking, this word, this phrase, agonisomai, was also used to describe the idea of struggle. So this is a very, very uh, serious struggle. So struggle when one has to make very earnest effort or tries very hard to come out of that trouble. So the derivative of this word, uh, you may recognize the word in English, uh, the word agonize or agony, uh, which means to suffer extreme pain uh, that come from this very word. And then furthermore, there is also the idea from this word, the idea that the battle or the conflict that one is engaged in is not only happening in the physical nature, but also the same struggle is carried over into the spiritual realm. So the Scripture tells us this battle, right? So the Scripture tells us, that the, in fact, the entire book of Scriptures tells us the story of the total depravity of the human race, right? So what it means is that there is no part, you know, in, in my part, in my part of my body that is left untouched by sin. So my mind, our minds, my wills, my bodies are affected by evil. So we speak sinful word, uh, we do sinful deeds, we also have impure thoughts. So R.C. Sproul, so R.C. is a Reformed theologian, pastor, author. Uh, he uses, to me, is a very insightful word uh, to describe it. Uh, so according to R.C., uh, this is what he calls as radical corruption. So radical doesn't necessarily mean extreme corruption, but radical, as you may know, radical comes from the Latin word root or core. Uh, so radical corruption, what it really means is that our problem with sin is rooted in our core, rooted in our core, in our being. So sin is at our core. It permeates our heart. So in other words, our heart is corrupt. My heart is corrupt with jealousy, with anger, 
greed, with pride, with idolatry. Romans 3 tells us that there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So this is the reality that Paul recognized in this passage. So above and beyond his physical suffering, spiritually speaking, Paul recognized that it is a battle. The battle is against the sinner's natural law of sin. So you may have seen a picture of, or maybe seen in a movie, recognize uh, a medieval monastery. Uh, so it's typically, monastery is placed in a far remote area, and typically there's a big, tall walls intended to separate the inside communities, right? The nuns, the monks from the outside evil world. Uh, but guess what, right? These walls did not prevent the inside communities from committing sin. Uh, and that's again, you know, while it is true that the outside world influenced the way we think and react, at the, the, at the end of the day, my biggest battle, our biggest battle, our agonisomai, our agony this morning, I would submit to you, is fought inside our heart, is fought inside my heart. And this is again what Paul recognized in this reality. You will also notice that Paul is using a different tense here. So unlike the previous verse when he said that he is being poured out, it was a present tense, here Paul is using a perfect tense that I have fought a good fight. So this perfect tense signals an action completed in the past with results that is continuing into the presence. So at some point, Paul has given his life, has surrendered his all. So now here, Paul declaring that Paul is truthfully saying that he has given his all for Christ. So looking back at this very moment, there is no sense of regret or sadness on unfulfillment because he has surrendered it all. He has given it all. So just like Paul, when we are faced with struggle, when we are faced with our agony, with our fight, to be triumphant, we need to come to the person who has conquered all sin, a person of Christ. Not just one time, but over and over again. We need to continually ask for the Lord to convict our heart. Psalm 139 says that, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. 
So that need to come from our lips over and over again and come to Christ continuously. And then the third metaphor, lastly, Paul is, the, is saying here that I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. So having given his best, Paul now sees himself as crossing the finish line. The word race here is the Greek word dromos. Uh, so what it refers in a literal sense is a course or a racetrack. So if you have been in any race, uh, you, you know that you are following a very specific course. So if you're in a race, you don't just scatter and then go to finish line. You kind of follow along a very specific map. Uh, and this is what Paul is referring. And as a metaphor as well, this racetrack, this course, also refers to your course in your life, your purpose in life. Uh, so this is what strikes me in this, in this analogy. So Paul here is not claiming victory in the sense that he has outpaced all of, you know, all of his other opposition. So the phrase states that he has completed the course or he has finished the course. Uh, the point here is that there is no race left to run. So it doesn't say that Paul has run faster or harder or more bravely than anyone else. Paul simply states that he has finished the race. So we too are given a course to run in our lives. So we have a line out path, you know, a mark, right, with definite beginning in your end, a purpose life. So God has shaped and prepared us to play a very unique role wherever you are in every step, every step of your story. You have a purpose as well that will bring glory to God, share the grace of God, and extend the reign of His kingdom. So for Paul, his ministry has always been to proclaim and defend the gospel. And for you and for myself, that is true as well, to bring honor and glory. And that is the race that we are given, and that is the race that we must stay on course. And it's also true that finally the last metaphor feeds into the final statement that I have kept the faith. So now Paul set his face finally on his imminent future. So though he is not yet present with the Lord, he recognized that there is a crown that awaits him that is already being secured and reserved. That is the crown of righteousness. So a more precise translation here is a crown which is righteousness. So this is amazing to me. So this is a statement. This statement is a window into Paul's heart. So while he remains on earth and prepares himself for his death, his true desire is to be holy as God alone is holy. So he is waiting 
in great anticipation for the moment when will he receive this gift of righteousness so as to never taste sin again. And we will have to go back to Romans 3, the same passage that I read earlier. While, there, while we have fallen short of glory of God, we have this crown of righteousness. Paul says that the righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So what this is saying is that we inherit this crown through the righteousness of Christ, which will give us right to it. When you inherit something, you get something, and you get right to it something that you cannot obtain. So this crown, this crown you cannot obtain. Not because you follow certain laws, certain rules, but this righteousness is obtained through Christ alone. And because it is obtained and possessed in a righteous way, not by force, you know, or by deceit, as sometimes earthly crowns can, can be obtained, but because this crown is obtained and possessed in a righteous way, it is an everlasting crown. And that is the heart of the gospel that we need to hear this morning. So this crown is promised to all, promised to us who love the Lord, love the Lord and eagerly waits for His return. So this crown is not for those who depend upon their own sense of righteousness, or depend on our own works. This crown of righteousness is obtained through Christ. And this crown of righteousness is what we're longing for this day in, in days to come. So I'm going to leave you this morning with one final story. So I started with a runner who completed the course Catherine Beers, I'd like to end the story with yet another runner who completed the course. So this man, his name is Stephen John Akwari. He is from Tanzania. So Akwari competed also in marathon, to be precise, in 1968. Olympics marathon in Mexico. He ran as he was running at some point during the race. Aquari fell to the ground, gassing and dislocating his knee. He also smashed his soldier, so shoulder against the pavement. So most observer at that moment, seeing his injuries, assumed that he would pull out and go to hospital to get treatment. So instead, against all odds, Aquari received medical attention. You can see the bandage there. And then he returned to the track to continue his race. And so he did. So more than a couple hours after the winner had been declared, Aquari finally crossed the finish line. 
also deathless, just like Catherine Bieber's. And then he was cheered only by a handful of spectators who had remained in the stadium after the sun went down. So by the time he reached the stadium, so this is where the picture was taken, he was limping. The bandage around his leg was flapping in the breeze, and then he was exhausted. But he did complete the race. So after the race, he was asked why he would carry it on, and his response was this. His response was that my country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race, he said, but they sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. So that statement, that is our invitation for us this morning, to finish the race. So my prayer for us this morning is that we continue to fight the good fight and that we will finish the race well. And in good, in struggling times, we will continue to rest in His sovereignty, knowing that He will make everything perfect in His own timing. Let us pray. Father, we give thanks this morning for Your Word. We thank You, Father, that we have this example from Paul, Father, to fight the good fight, to finish the race, and to rest, Father, for Your sovereignty. So we ask, Father, that You give us grace, that You give us strength and wisdom this morning to do so. Transform our heart, Father, this morning as we leave this place, Father. Continue to be with us. Convict our hearts, Fathers. And may everything that we do, Father, bring honor and glory to you. For we ask this in Christ's name, our rock and redeemer. Amen.